In this episode of Paid by the Word, Mike interviews author and energy expert Elena Cahill. Here's a snippet from their conversation. They had put a piece of machinery in front of the thermostat, which kept the heat running all year, that they were then air conditioning. And, you know, the simple change of turning that thermostat off just saved so much energy and money and everything for the owner. So the fun of being an energy consultant is being able to take your lens into a facility where somebody's working every day and they've just become so numb to thinking about things differently and you get to make them aware. And there's never, without exception, there's never been a time that you can't find something in five minutes of walking in a building, you know, and then that grows and expands to some real hardcore energy, you know, conservation, efficiency, and generation. But the the people, whether it's the owner or the CEO or the COO or the facility manager, you know, they kind of catch on pretty quickly that your lens is different than their lens. And I think they really appreciate the new lens that you get to see through. And then again, we're, we're trying to develop habits. And the more of this you're working with any particular client, they start changing their habits and their lens will start changing. And that's the positive impact. So it's really fun. Well, hello there and welcome to Paid by the Word, a podcast featuring conversations with professional writers and editors. If you are curious about what goes on in the minds of people who write and edit for a living, this podcast is for you. Thanks, Zoe. My guest today is Elena Cahill, the author of Power Economics, an executive's guide to energy efficiency, conservation, and generation strategies. As Elena writes in her book, for most of recorded history, we have enjoyed an abundance of energy sources. As a result, we haven't been forced to think much about using energy efficiently. Well, we no longer have that luxury. Although we still have plenty of energy sources, it's becoming increasingly clear that our atmosphere and our environment have limited capacities for absorbing the harmful byproducts of our energy-intensive economies. As Elena argues, if we don't get serious about using energy more efficiently, we risk losing the world we love. That's why we need to change our energy habits and use energy more wisely. Elena Cahill is an attorney, educator, business executive, investor, and entrepreneur. For many years, she has served as the director of the business college at the University of Bridgeport. In 2009, she founded Globelli Energy, a woman-owned professional energy service firm located in New Haven, Connecticut. We began our conversation by talking about common misconceptions about energy. Elena, what is it that most people don't understand about energy? What is it that most people don't understand about energy? And I, from my perspective, I think people don't understand two things. One is that energy is immediately consumed. And the second part is how much it affects every part of their world, whether it's at home, at work, enjoying things that might be their hobbies, but it affects everybody everywhere on the planet to some degree, not equally, but to some degree. So, Elena, in your new book, Power Economics, well, that book is all about energy efficiency, conservation, and generation strategies. Why and what do we need to know about all three of those, efficiency, conservation, and generation, if we want to use energy more wisely? That question, I think, just sums up everything about energy. So, the first part is, 
that understanding that we all use energy in various ways in our lives, we can use it in a more efficient way. And that's one part of the book, which is if you're going to use energy, use the energy most efficiently. And, and that's talking about if you put a light on and you walk out of the room, turn the light off. If you can have the light on a sensor, have a light on a sensor. Effectively, that's equating to not using energy. So that's saying, okay, you know what? We need to have energy. Energy is part of our existence, but we shouldn't be wasting the energy. So that's one part of energy is understanding what impact you can have on not using it or not using it inappropriately. We want to use it, but we're just saying don't keep it on when you're not using it because as we commented earlier, energy is used real time. And most people don't even think about it. They're not thinking they're not bad people at all. They're just not thinking about it. So let's say that you work at a facility that has refrigeration on because part of the day you're putting ice cream or milk or water in this refrigeration, but then you empty out the refrigeration at the end of the day, but you don't turn off the refrigerator, even though it's not going to be used. We're just trying to tell people, hey, maybe turn off the refrigerator or you might have an office that's only open seven in the morning till six at night but you keep the hot water at the highest temperature all the rest of the hours and on the weekend when nobody's there. And maybe we're suggesting, hey, it would be a really good idea to turn that back because the office isn't even open, so nobody's going to be using it. And we're just using this energy to heat water that nobody's going to use. So the first part of the conversation is let's just try not to waste energy. And then the second part could be let's use technology that's as energy efficient as possible. And of course, you know, the conversations around if you can afford it, if you can afford to make those changes or working towards making those changes. And the book also helps you identify where there's money to help you make those changes. So this example can be you have a light bulb and it's not an LED light bulb and it's an inefficient light bulb. So the light bulb itself can be more efficient. The actual technology can be more efficient. And in this regard, we're saying, okay, you may not be wasting it because you're only putting the light on when you absolutely need it, but you're using an inefficient light bulb. Let's use a more efficient light bulb so that we're using as little energy as possible. And that scales to any form of modality that you're using. We often tell people they, I'm, I don't know why for some reason in this conversation I'm focusing on the home, but you know, at home, we take our old refrigerators, we go get a new, more efficient refrigerator, but then we take the old one that wasn't a frig- like efficient and we put it in our basement or our garage and still use it. And we just sort of didn't benefit anybody because we took the inefficient device and instead of not using it, we're still using it, plus we're using an additional device. So the first part of the conversation is only use energy when you absolutely need it. The second part is when you're using energy, try to be as efficient in technology as you can possibly be. And then the last part, which is, you know, sort of the holy grail is make energy. If you can make energy from a renewable resource, all the better. But because making energy is not inexpensive, we don't want to make more than we need. So we start with Learn how to turn things off when you're not using it. Use the most efficient technology when possible. And then try to make the energy right on site or locally. This is the world of localization, right? We're coming back to understanding that using anything locally, locally produced food, you know, locally anything, local sourcing of anything, everyone's realizing, well, you save on the logistics, you save on the carbon output, moving things around. 
So locally producing energy is as efficient as well. We just have to get the cost down. So you don't want to have to make more energy than you're using. I'm sorry, that was a very long-winded answer. No, that's great because uh, I was going to ask you to just talk briefly about your hot tub example because that's one of my favorite uh, favorite examples from the book. Sure. So the hot tub. So I have a hot tub, which uses a lot of energy, and I have a little guilt around that. Um, and so it's sort of my guilty pleasure in life. But what I learned is that when I'm not in the hot tub, I can easily set it back and I don't have to keep it at the temperature that I want to enjoy it when I'm in it. And I can bring it back up to the temperature I want in probably less than 10 minutes. But the rest of the time, which is the majority of the time in our lives when I'm not in it, I set it back. So it's not staying really hot. Very similar to geothermal technology, where if you go, you know, you dig eight feet down in the earth and it's 55 degrees all year round, your hot tub can be treated kind of the same way. Set it back to a reasonable temperature that it doesn't require hardly any energy to maintain. And then 10 minutes before you're going to hop in it, put it where you want it to be and enjoy it. And then when you come out, set it back again. And there's actually a mode. Most people don't even realize on hot tubs, there's a mode for that so that they make it even easier for you. You don't even have to do a lot of work. You just hit the mode and it puts it into energy savings. And then when you come in, you can click a button and bring it right back up to where you want it to be because it'll store your sa- it'll s- store the settings that you want the hot tub to be on for you. Elena, one of the things I really love about your book is that you detail a number of relatively easy ways for people to save energy and save the planet at the same time. These are very, very practical approaches. They're proven over time. They basically employ common sense. Uh, they require uh, what I would describe as minimal sacrifices. So, so why don't more people take this uh, practical approach? Why aren't more people following these practical strategies for saving energy you know, and saving our planet? I think, you know, and thank you for saying that, but I, I believe, Mike, that part of it is we're just not aware and we're not thinking about these changes and these actions because they're not part of our habits every day yet. And I think most people's actions every day are habits, they're habitual actions, not necessarily they're consciously thinking of what they do every single day. So once it becomes part of your habit, it becomes part of your routine, and you start thinking about this, then I believe that that changes the mindset and people start becoming aware of it in any setting. So if your habit is to think about the energy, then I think you'll think about the energy, whether your car is running and it doesn't need to be running. So you think to shut it off because you're waiting for someone, but you know, it's going to be five or 10 minutes. So you don't need to let the car run for five or 10 minutes. Um, Or you're walking out of a room and you see a light or the example with something old and not, you know, still using it, even though you bought something new, but you're now wasting more energy. So I think part of it is just habitual thinking. And as we start conditioning ourselves to be mindful of the wasted energy, then we start thinking about that and it becomes a habit. So, and I, maybe we should also convert this to the workplace. Cause I think it's the same thing in the workplace. I think a lot of the energy wasted in a workplace is still habitual. It's just because you're not thinking about it. And I think in the workplace, people are more aware of saving money um, or they should be more aware of saving money because probably there's some type of a money issue at the office and again, is thought, is thinking about what could I be doing that will make, that will, one, use less energy in its entirely. The energy we're using will be the most efficient as possible, and then can we possibly generate energy? And if those three thoughts start, you know, repeating and become habit, then our actions will reflect the thought process. And that's 
part of what we're hoping people understand is that your actions, everyone's actions, my action, your actions, everybody's actions can have a direct impact on a change. But it becomes a habit, I think. And Elena, of course, you've made a career out of uh, advising people how to use energy more wisely. So uh, tell us a little bit about the life of an energy consultant. Uh, what does the job entail? It's super fun. It's super it starts feeding on each other. And what does that mean? So the life of an energy consultant is walking into a place that somebody else walks into every day and looking at it with a different set of eyes through a different lens. And, you know, again, this is talking about the habit of how you're viewing things and looking at life is just really fun because you get to walk into a place where somebody walks in every day and does the same thing, but you're walking in with this entirely different lens and pointing things out to them that are so obvious right in front of them. And not everything is 100% obvious, but some things just start obvious. And then when you point out the obvious, they let you dig deeper and find more ways to conserve energy or be more energy efficient or generate energy. And it's, I'm going to give you another example. Um, This one always sticks in my head. I walk into a manufacturing facility and I ask to see their energy bills and the owner gives me an oil bill and it was a summertime and I noticed that they're paying an oil bill all year round and I asked them why they're paying an oil bill all year round and they say they didn't think about why they're paying an oil bill all year round and I said it's interesting I'm in the northeast it's not particularly cold six months of the year and they said well I don't know we never thought about it I said well let's figure this out and at first I thought maybe the oil tank was leaking and that kind of would have been a problem you know and then I thought that that could be kind of an issue if we've had that much oil leaking well come to find out the oil wasn't leaking which was good news the good news was that there was no environmental contamination but the funny news was that they had put a piece of machinery in front of the thermostat which kept the heat running all year that they were then air conditioning And, you know, the simple change of turning that thermostat off just saved so much energy and money and everything for the owner. So the fun of being an energy consultant is being able to take your lens into a facility where somebody's working every day and they've just become so numb to thinking about things differently and you get to make them aware. And there's never, without exception, there's never been a time that you can't find something in five minutes of walking in a building. You know, and then that grows and expands to some real hardcore energy, you know, conservation, efficiency and generation. But the people, whether it's the owner or the CEO or the COO or the facility manager, you know, they kind of catch on pretty quickly that your lens is different than their lens. And I think they really appreciate the new lens that you get to see through. And then, again, we're, we're trying to develop habits. And the more of this you're working with any particular client, they start changing their habits and their lens will start changing. And that's the positive impact. So it's really fun. Wow. I love the story in the book about how you walked into the pasta manufacturer and you saw the steam coming up out of the pots and you said, I, we can do something with this. Absolutely. We could take that steam and we can use it. You know, why waste it? Um, and we ended up using it in a couple different ways. One of them was to do steam cleaning because they were then spending a tremendous amount of water cleaning at the end of the day. And we said, wait, let's like not waste water, we'll save water. And in addition, we'll capture the steam that you're wasting and reuse it. And also steam makes energy. So, you know, and you understand like why they did it because that's just part of a process that grew for them. And they're thinking about making pasta. They're not thinking about energy, you know, and again, the lens is different. The focus is different. Um, a lot of good work at that company, cleanest place I ever saw. 
Yeah, and it saved them uh, a lot of money. It saved them a significant amount of money, and I think that's what that's one of the the morals that we need to weave into this uh, mm-hmm. is that you can save money and save the planet. I, I just really love your approach to this. You know, you can be practical and do the right thing. It's so true. And we say to people, the least expensive energy is the energy you don't use. So we could do everything we can to make energy. You know, use the best technology and you know, have it consume the least amount, but nothing, nothing is better than not using the energy. And as soon as you're not using the energy, 100% of that money is saved. So there's so much money from one, step one, use only the energy you absolutely need to make the energy you're using be the most efficient. And just think about the amount of money in those two departments we just saved. And if, and if an owner is really great and they take the savings and reinvest it, they can put it back into the generation, making themselves self-sustaining. And now you have a situation where they're saving the most amount of money possible. Maybe it's going to take seven, eight years, but after that, they effectively can have energy free for 20 years. Right. You know, and both states have programs that will reward you for doing that, right? Absolutely. There are everything from localized programs which would be municipal government level to state government level to federal government you can layer on incentives that can be free money with tax deductions with tax credits and you can layer all of these benefits so depending on the location depending on the project a person is picking they can layer on many times three benefits you know right on top of each other it's incredible Wow. So, Elena, tell us about your uh, career path. Uh, you weren't planning on going uh, to college. Uh, what changed your mind? Oh, boy. That's, yeah, take me back. Um, I was not planning on going to college. I went to a trade high school, uh, became a cosmetologist, and then became an esthetician and found great, incredibly great interest in chemistry. Um, so, I started college a chemistry major, and I love science. And I think it's funny how life weaves itself into, you know, each other. So I, because ironically, when you're working in energy, you're working with a lot of science anyway. So it seems that my whole entire being has been around numbers and whether it be talking about numbers or talking about science. So I did not plan on going to college. I went to college and then I took a couple more, you know, swervy roads from chemistry to finance, from finance to law. And then ironically, ended up still working even as a lawyer with Um, reorganizations, corporate reorganizations, which tied in strategy and money. So I feel as though the common theme is I love science, technology, numbers, and I love strategy. And those two loves have been able to help direct me and doing really fun things and ultimately leading into the energy consulting firm, which was something I kind of created, thinking that there could be a service that people would enjoy without selling them anything. You could really just help them. So after college, then then you end up going to law school. Uh, did did your legal perspective? Uh, uh, how does that apply to the energy field? Yeah, that's a great question. So you know, going backwards a second again, me- most attorneys come in from most of them, not all of them, but most attorneys come in from political science, history, or English, and I come in from you know both science and money, finance, which is kind of unusual to begin with, but definitively the law career. Um, was really important. I used to represent energy companies, which is how I really got this true love of energy. And then everything around energy often involves a contract of some nature and some money, right? So you have to figure out savings, you have to be able to quantify the savings, and there's qualitative work. So I think it's a combination of the science finance background with law background, which helps you with public policy and contract writing, 
made a really good fit for coming into energy consulting. Energy has a tremendous amount of policy work, has a tremendous amount of economic work, whether it's tax credits, tax deductions, when you're working on the incentives, you're doing energy savings calculations. It just seemed to be a nice fit between numbers and law to be able to put together energy consulting. That makes total sense. And also, uh, one of the things that I learned from your book is that uh, the law does play a really large part in our use of energy because mainly because of inconsistency. Um, <laughs> it seems as though every every town, state, municipality, and you know, and region has its own strange laws uh, and regulations about energy. Uh, how does that? Is that good or bad? Or I mean, is there any upside to that? Or is there? Or is it? Or is that something we need to really work on? Hmm, interesting question. I think that, so personally, I wish it wasn't the way it is. And I, the United States has a very interesting legal structure to begin with, just with the layering of federal and state laws and the, the advanced expansiveness of the United States. But I, I don't really love the idea of energy being politicized. I wish we just had a more efficient way of looking at energy and we kept it uniform throughout the country. So I personally probably would say I don't love the idea that it requires so much law and policy changes because administrations have an impact every single time on the output. There's an argument to be made that it then makes the private sector really step up to the plate. And I think there is some truth to that. But I guess, you know, it's not it's not unrealistic in the sense where because the United States is so large, there are natural resources that are available in some places that aren't available in other places. And that could be anything from sun to wind to coal to oil. It's, you know, this country is very, very expansive and it has a lot of different resources that aren't consistently available throughout the country. Um, but, you know, there are, there's challenges when we're constantly changing policy. You know, we're also constantly changing economics, like what type of benefits or incentives there are to do energy projects. So I think one rule of thumb is projects follow money. Projects follow economic incentives. The more economic incentives there are for the projects, the more you see the projects done. That's just a truth to how it works. But wouldn't it be wonderful if everybody could afford to do the energy efficiency projects? Wouldn't it be wonderful if everybody had a mandate you know, to reduce the carbon output. So it is, you know, part of it is just the situation at hand. We have a huge country with different resources available in different places. And we just talked about being local, right? So a lot of people want to use their local resources. So we don't share the resources as greatly as I think we possibly could. But yes, there are complications because policy is not consistent and that makes it a little bit challenging. We don't even have a similar building. I mean, Building codes, what am I talking about when I say policies aren't consistent? The carbon output levels are not consistent. The building codes are not consistent. The economics to do projects are not consistent. You know, so those are the challenges to having the various, you know, laws and policies throughout the country. Do you think that as more of us begin driving uh, EVs, electric vehicles, that uh, that our energy situation will get better or that we'll be even more conscious of our energy usage? I think driving an electric vehicle does make people more aware. I am hoping that as more electric vehicles, and I'm so grateful, I'll just put a commercial in here, I'm so grateful to hear about how many more electric vehicles will be hitting the markets over the next two, three, four, five years. 
Um, I do think that we hopefully are going to have technology catch up to us and that we're going to find more ways. I'm not going to say find ways because ways exist already, but find more ways to be producing energy in a renewable way for the electric vehicle. So what we don't want to have happen is we electrify cars entirely, but then use a high carbon output to make the electricity. We don't want that. We want to electrify our vehicles and find a renewable way to generate that electricity. So by way of an example, there are plates that can be put down on the road and they're used in some countries already. Um, and you drive over the plates and as you're driving over the plates, the friction makes the electricity. And that electricity is used to be powering vehicles. Well, that's amazing, right? Like that's a great technology. Or I do hope to see that cars will have solar built in with inverters so that literally when a car is just sitting outside, it could be generating electricity and putting the energy right in its battery. So I'm all for electric vehicles and electrifying our transportation system, but I also want to see the generation portion of that catch up so that we're generating for those electric vehicles in a carbon-free way. That's my hope. Wow. I just kind of love that image of, uh, I'm thinking of, uh, you know, of a, of a hot car on a summer's day. It'd be great if we could take some of that heat and turn it into, uh, you know, put it right into the car's battery. Uh, Absolutely. I kind of, I'm waiting for that day myself so that you don't even have to go stop and charge. It's constantly charging. So, Elena, generally speaking, are you are you optimistic about the future of energy and the future of our planet's environment? I mean, are, are we heading in a good direction? I think we are. I think that we I think the awareness today is greater than it's ever been. And I think what we want, again, if I if I were to say that habit forming is something that we really want to look towards, I think that that's starting. I think fundamentally, sometimes we for, I forget, and I don't know if other people do, but I think sometimes we forget that there are people in the world that don't have the basic necessity of water or electricity. And the other part of this conversation, I think, is about how if we can work towards helping everyone understand energy, we can also help them understand water. And if you can have water, you can have life. So there's, you know, we want to connect energy, I think, to basic necessities in life, which are water, you know, clean sanitation. So there's so much involved in energy here. I'm physically sitting in the United States in the Northeast, and we're so incredibly lucky here in the United States with the resources we have. But you could think about taking this whole conversation to a part of the world where, you know, they're still walking miles to get water every day because they don't have electricity for a well. And if you can generate electricity on site for them and generate a mechanism to clean the water, you're also changing lives of millions and millions of people. So there's a lot. And I think that, yes, we're making progress. I personally would like to see the progress get made a little bit quicker for all of these reasons. We want to reduce the carbon output. We want to save our planet, as you mentioned. And I think we want to bring the quality of life for everybody a little bit greater. Okay. That was from my conversation with Elena Cahill, the author of Power Economics, an executive's guide to energy efficiency, conservation, and generation strategies. One of the things I learned from Elena's book is that there are reasonable alternatives to our current energy practices. None of the ideas described in Elena's book are entirely new or totally unfamiliar. They aren't extreme or bizarre. They don't require harsh or draconian measures to work. All of them follow basic rules of common sense and can be achieved at reasonable cost. I highly urge you to read Elena's book. I think it'll be good for you, good for your family, good for your business, and good for the planet. Thank you so much. Take care and be well. Bye-bye.
That wraps up another episode of Paid by the Word, a podcast featuring conversations with writers, editors, and media professionals. We are grateful for your attention and we wish you all the very best. Stay safe and be well. Bye-bye.